Welcome to Old Fashioned Finance, the podcast that mixes cocktails and high finance. I'm your host, Jason Demland, and I am joined as always and in the future by my good friend and fellow money muddler, Caleb Frankert. Jason, can a podcast about finance be entertaining? Not without alcohol. Well, all right, let's mix it up. Before we get started, Caleb, I want to thank our audience for telling their friends about this show. We are uh, seeing an increase in downloads, and I have to say it's probably due to people telling people about the show. So we really appreciate it. We are forever grateful. Please continue to do so. It would greatly help us out. Yes, thank you very much. And it does appear that people who are listening are listening to all the podcasts. So that's really exciting. I don't think anybody's going away yet. (laughs) Yeah, we are committed to improving this show. So please send us your feedback if you want. Caleb, is that a mason jar that you're drinking out of? First, I have no idea what you're talking about. Second, that's (laughs) none of your business anyway. All right. Somebody (laughs) is really getting into the episode this week. Well, don't I every week? You do, as do I. This is just too much fun. It is. And I am really into this one. In fact, I am sitting here right now barefoot in my office (laughs) recording this podcast. That was coincidental, but I feel right at home with this episode. So (laughs) this one's going to be fun. I think so. I mean, how could it not be? We're talking about moonshine. That's right. Down with the shine. The perfect shine that poisons the well and ruins my mind. I get took for a ride every time down with the glistening shine. (laughs) (laughs) That's good stuff. Uh, Yeah, and the moonshine's good too. Yeah, well, we took a little (laughs) field trip just down the road or up the road or east of here to Napoleon, Ohio. (laughs) Yeah, we did. We paid a little visit to master distiller Lawrence Pritchard III, founder of Flat Rock Distilling. Yeah, and it was quite a visit, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. We got to say thanks to Mr. Pritchard, A, for taking just some time to talk distilling with us. He didn't have to do that. But really, man, he is a wealth of knowledge and experience when it comes to making that shine. And it's in his blood. I learned a lot. (laughs) Yeah, he knows his stuff. Lawrence was a contestant on the hit TV show Moonshiner's Master Distiller Season 1, Episode 3. I would encourage everyone to check out that episode. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So Flat Rock, for folks around here, Northwest Ohio might know, they started as a microbrewery before switching over to spirits. And Lawrence says in the program, in that Moonshiners episode that he was on, that he didn't even know until he was already brewing that his grandpa was a big time moonshiner in Southern Ohio back in the, the Depression days. So it just made sense for them to make the switch. And, you know, as he told us in the tasting room there in Napoleon, his mission is to make his last name legal because, as you know, moonshine was very illegal. Yeah, they say moonshining is legal until you get caught. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's legal now, sort of. Uh, But as we learned, things are highly regulated and for good reason. Yeah, as it turns out, you can really get hurt making or drinking moonshine if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Just remember the the uh, Homer versus the 18th Amendment on the Simpsons episode where he's making making moonshine in his bathtub. So, <laughs> yes, lucky for the us, Simpsons though. raised you, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> lucky for us, Lawrence knows what the heck he's doing, and it shows in his finished product. It certainly does. You know, we made sure to walk out with a couple of bottles of the good stuff ourselves. Since they're not able to mix things up at the distillery because of liquor licenses and all that good stuff, we decided to work these spirits into some of our favorite cocktail recipes, didn't we? Yes, we did. We, we made a couple that uh, Mr. Pritchard himself had recommended out there using some of his rye moonshine. 
Is that what it's called? It's just yeah, it's winter rye. Winter rye. Yep. And so around here in Northwest Ohio, I remember growing up on the farm. This was a, kind of a cover crop that sometimes we planted in the fall. Yeah. It did did wonders for the soil in the springtime. And most of the time it's just sprayed down and plowed under or or <laughs> sprayed and planted into. And he thought for crying out loud, let's put some of this to use. And I, I like what he's doing. He's doing a great job. A part of his whole premise is that uh, being up here in Northwestern Ohio, the grain is really good. And most moonshiners mm-hmm. can't get a hold of really good grain, you know, in Tennessee and North Carolina and Kentucky and those areas. We grow good grain in Northwest Ohio. And he thought, let's turn it into moonshine. Yeah. You know, it tastes pretty good. I was very skeptical about drinking moonshine, Caleb. It's got a lot of stigmas. Me too. I have to say I was very impressed, especially once with him there, with Lawrence there telling us all about it and the whole process for it. There's some science going into this, folks. And I think you know that if you ever watched people make any and do do any kind of distilling, it, it's a science yeah. and you really got to you got to know what you're doing so you don't blind people or blow things <laughs> up. What he ended up with is, is some unique flavors. He's infused things into his moonshine. Sweet corn is a big deal out here, and he he has put that into a lot of his corn whiskey. It's just been really neat. So we mixed up two cocktails. Caleb, you want to walk us through those? Yeah, but you know what? Before I do, I kind of want to talk about the way it tasted on its own, because that's how we tasted it at the tasting room. I was just expecting going in, you know, 100 proof. When we drink a bourbon, that's 100 proof. A lot of times that's pretty rough stuff. Which is okay. I, I like that rough feel, the, the the heat, you know. But this was just so deceptively smooth and really, really good flavors too. Like you said, adding the sweet corn flavor, you know, that was really unique. The rye, I, I still can't pinpoint what that flavor is, but there's kind of like a bready, yeasty, and a good way flavor. Um, it, not not yeah. exactly, like I say bready, but not exactly like rye bread. But all by itself, it was really good stuff and sneaky yeah. because of the, the alcohol content. You sure? Yeah. You, you didn't think you were drinking really high proof stuff when you were. As far as the cocktails, you know, we we actually did three over the course of writing the episode here, and and we did take that rye, that winter rye moonshine, and worked it right into one of our favorite recipes, mm-hmm. which is a Manhattan. Which we'll be doing a Manhattan episode here. Mark my words. Oh yes. But we used David Embry's recipe for the Manhattan, and it definitely was different than the typical Manhattan. A little sweeter. But I, I liked what was coming through. We asked Lawrence when we were there what his favorite cocktails were. And while he said he's no mixologist, a couple of them stuck out. The Munito, uh, which I, I think is kind of a take on a mojito. We mixed one of those up and tried here with one and a half ounces of rye moonshine, four ounces of club soda, fresh lime, some mint leaves, and two teaspoons of sugar. Uh, you muddle the mint and the lime wedges together in a mixing glass, add the sugar, top it with moonshine and cold club soda. And it was a, a refreshing summer treat. They also have a strawberry shine there, which he said you could throw on top. We didn't bring a bottle of that with us, but mm-hmm. that was surprising too, the way it tasted at the tasting room. Not not that sweet sugar bomb that, that you would think. Now, my favorite out of what we tried, and I think Lawrence said was his favorite too, was the Flat Rock Rye Mule. So if you're not familiar with a mule, I think a mule episode is coming too. Absolutely it is. <laughs> but basically a, a version of the Moscow mule, the Kentucky mule is made with bourbon. And this is kind of a spin on that too. One and a half ounces of rye moonshine, four ounces of ginger beer. Sometimes we'll put ginger ale in there uh, as an alternative. Both are really good. You basically mix that up, squeeze a little lime in and serve it over crushed ice. If you've got a copper mug, it's really good in a copper mug. 
that one hit the spot for me, Jason. What did you think? Absolutely. The ginger beer marries really well with that weird rye taste. Obviously, when we got that rye moonshine, we wanted to try it in a Manhattan because we're on the quest for the perfect rye for the perfect Manhattan. It brought some very different and unique flavors to the table. I can't classify it either, Caleb. You said it's really bready and yeasty, but in a good way. It's a really sweet kind of bready taste, like sweet dough. And you can really feel that coming through when you had it in any of these drinks, really. But with the with the mule, when you put it with ginger beer. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the ice, it's, it is a cold, refreshing drink. And the, uh, you know, that unique flavor that ginger brings, that kind of spiciness with a, the kind of the spiciness of the rye. But his rye is so sweet that it, oh, really, yeah. it really played differently than I'm used to with the Kentucky mule, as you know, that we prefer over the traditional <laughs> Moscow mule, which really brings us into our philosophy Uh, We've got a theory here that moonshine should replace vodka in every cocktail that vodka is in. I 100% agree. If you've listened to previous episodes, we're not big vodka fans, that vile potato water. (laughs) I think that just there's, you know, Flat Rock's regular moonshine, that corn whiskey. Mm -hmm. Gosh, that really would play well in any vodka-based drink, I think. Oh, for sure. It's different than a typical rye, the rye that he has there. It's not going to give you that, that... full-on whiskey taste and some of the whiskey-based drinks, but man, I kind of like some of the other elements in a vodka-based drink. I think I'm throwing this in there instead. Moral of the story is Lawrence is doing a great job there. I think it's really fun and exciting. You guys need to check him out. If you happen to be in Southern Ohio, by the way, or Tennessee, and I think North Carolina, he said, they've got quite a bit of relationships down there with distributors. So their stuff is a little more readily available in Southern Ohio, Tennessee, North Carolina at this time. So if you're out there, Make sure you check this stuff out. It's really interesting. It's totally different than what I expected. I, I think he's doing a great job. And Lawrence, if you're listening, keep up the good work, man. Yeah, make sure you check out Flat Rock Distilling, everyone. They got good stuff. We're talking about moonshine, and this brings up, you know, people making liquor by the <laughs> moonlight, hiding from the law, running from the law. I think that's a great transition and marries well with our financial topic of choice today, right, Caleb? Yeah. Today, we're going to be talking about Bitcoin, or at least attempting to. We're going (laughs) to give it our best shot. Now, Jason, why does that play in so well with moonshining, with run and shine? (laughs) Well, Bitcoin is used by a lot of the underworld uh, to (laughs) launder money. So I assume that if you were running a bunch of shine stills, you'd probably be looking for payment in Bitcoin if this was some weird alternate universe, uh, you know, like kind of a steampunk alternate <laughs> future past kind of thing. Yeah. Like, like if you were writing a, a weird, not necessarily futuristic alternate universe fantasy novel, they might be running shine and taking Bitcoin as payment. Yeah, but serious on a serious note, like the mob, think about Al Capone using Bitcoin to launder his money. It really works. And uh-huh. I know someone who works on the dark web task force enforcing the law doing that. He's like all of these illegal folk, these nefarious underground illegal actors have gotten super rich because they've been accepting payment in Bitcoin. And Bitcoin has shot through the roof over the last few years. Skyrocketed, um, especially so, recently. <laughs> so that's why I think it ties together well with Moonshine. We got a little uh, operating outside the law or in those gray areas. <laughs> Man, we're going to talk about Bitcoin because we get asked about it all the time. The last time I was asked about it was, well, and I got to say it was Dogecoin this time. I don't even know if I'm saying oh, that It doesn't right, count. But, 
cryptocurrency in general, we get asked a lot. So, I mean, for the most part, it, I mean, it's at least weekly we hear someone. Oh, absolutely. Doing this for questions. a living, we get asked a lot about investments. That's where a lot of people see a plenty of the value is obvious and having a financial planner help you with investments. But yeah, everybody asks about Bitcoin. People are afraid of missing out when something like this is shooting through the roof. Oh, yeah. Uh, when it's the new complicated kind of sexy investment choice, you 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 at least want to know about it a little. So yeah, it brings up all sorts of questions. We want to talk about it today. And everyone, it's really confusing. I don't I don't think I understand it all the way. We've done research for this podcast. We've done research when talking to our clients about it. We've done research just because, gosh, we want to give it a fair shake if, if it's something that we want to, you know, look at a part of a portfolio or something like that. We've got to do our due diligence. And I would say, you know, after years of doing this, I still am not fluent in the blockchain. Are you? What's the blockchain? We're talking about Bitcoin. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about that first. You're right. I'm getting ahead of myself. So why don't we try uh, to start out, Jason, with an explanation of exactly what what in the world is Bitcoin? That's funny, Caleb, because that's the first thing I ask my clients or friends when they ask me, Jason, <laughs> you're a professional financial planner. Uh, should I invest in Bitcoin? I say, I don't know. First, why don't you tell me what it is and how it works? And most of the time, people will just look at me. Yeah, like that conversation's usually <laughs> dead on arrival, isn't it? It's hard, and I get it. I've been to I've been to symposiums where I've heard futurists talk about the blockchain. I've read countless blog articles and listened to podcasts. I'm really into finance and investments, folks, on a professional level and on a personal level. And I got to be totally honest, I don't understand all the ins and outs of the blockchain and of Bitcoin. And that's because I'm not devoting all of my time to it. So we can we can talk about it in a, in a surface level, pretty much the idea of what it is. And Bitcoin is, is, is built on this idea of blockchain technology, which is some really cool stuff. And basically, it's, it's a collection of blocks of transaction data. It hey, is a- Hey, Jason, can I interrupt you? No, I, let me go on. No, I, go ahead. <laughs> I, I want to go back even more elementary than that, because personally, I think when I talk to clients and they ask about Bitcoin, they're asking as an investment. And I want to say at a, at a very basic level, what okay. is Bitcoin? Yeah. On yeah, a let's fundamental level, it is currency. Now, if any of you out there know who Ben Shapiro is, I think he, he does a really good job of kind of explaining some of the basics as a primer. If you search Bitcoin, Ben Shapiro on YouTube, there's a nice video there, but he's going through kind of how it started. The way he explains it, and it, it made sense to me, is A, it is a currency, and what is a currency? Well, back when we were on the barter system, and I think the way that he brought it up was apples and oranges, you have someone who grows apples for a living, and you have someone who grows oranges for a living, and they want to conduct business, but maybe the guy selling apples doesn't need oranges. You've got a conundrum, if that's all you've got to trade with. Therefore, currency was established, which is essentially, mm -hmm. at its base level, an IOU. And building on that, what became the most fundamental... IOU out there, it was gold. And that's how we got the gold standard here in this country, which historically we know through FDR and Nixon ended up being kind of phased out. But on a basic fundamental level, Bitcoin is a currency, which is an IOU for, for our barter system that is our economy. I know that's how it's predicted. I hadn't heard that explanation. That does that does make it pretty simple. And that's how you hear it touted a lot. Like this is the currency of the future. It's uh, safe. It's secure. 
It's it's out of the realm of governments. Mm-hmm. So I get that. But but it's so much more than that, too, because it's also a radically changing technology. And in one regard, it's a lot like from an investment standpoint, people don't want to miss out on it because this is like this is like when email happened. This is like when the iPhone came out. Mm-hmm. It's it's a radical shift in technology. And people are like, OK, I see there's a radical shift. So, Caleb, let's go back to 1992 or I got my Hotmail account in 96, uh, and I was pretty bleeding edge back then. But when email started to be a thing, how did people invest in it? Gosh, Jason, that's a great question. Uh, well, think about it. What are you going to do? What was the email company back then? I don't know. Uh, like you had, you had Microsoft to invest in. You had AOL. You had, you had all these different prongs that mm-hmm. were internet service providers maybe as a way to invest in it. So with, with blockchain technology, with Bitcoin, with cryptocurrency... People have kind of that attitude too. I don't want to miss out on the next email or the dot com bubble, all right, or that kind of thing. Like people, people see it as a revolutionary technology. Well, they they wouldn't mind missing out on the bubble. I'm sure. <laughs> Not the write up <laughs> is amazing though. <laughs> sure. So uh, yeah, so it's mo- it's so much more than that. It is it is a lot like a non fiat currency. Like you said, not 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 yes. standardized. Well, but kind of. Let's explain fiat currency, though. As if we're talking on a fundamental level, so we talked a little bit about currency in general, what it is, what it's predicated upon. We adopted a gold standard here in the states, and that started to be phased out with FDR because when they realized that well, we can't just print gold. <laughs> how do we inflate the currency? Uh, how do we print more money? We moved towards this fiat currency, which basically means it's worth something because we say it's worth something. It's not based on any physical numbers. We, we're completely off the gold standard after Nixon. Okay, so we have a completely fiat currency now, which means it is because our central government says it's worth something. So in essence, that means this. It's, it's the full faith and credit of the United States government that our U.S. dollar is worth right. something. Yes. That's different when it comes to blockchain, it is not a fiat currency. While it's not a physical currency that you can go get your hands on like gold was, it is not a fiat currency. There's a finite amount. Build, build on that a little more. I know you had more to, to say about that. I'm sorry. Caleb. Jason. Loving someone means never having to say you're sorry. <laughs> I love you too, man. <laughs> no, the the uh, Bitcoin uh, is not a fiat currency, like you said. It is, but it's not backed by a physical resource either. It is it is based on a finite resource. I think that there are 21 million bitcoins available to ever exist. That's based on the code when it was created. As far as I know, mm-hmm. some computer genius uh, invented the bitcoin and Shitashi Satoshi Nakamoto, I believe, is who's credited. All right, with great. That. He's really smart. Guaranteed, he's smarter than us. <laughs> and he invented this, and he's got 21 million of them can be mined. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit later about how bitcoins are created. But there can only ever be 21 million of them. Is the idea? So this idea of oh, what's that word? Scarcity is what's driving hmm. some of the. Uh, the value going up, people think it should continue to go up because people can use it as a currency. You can trade Bitcoin for goods and services. I remember probably about 2011 when Bitcoin was kind of starting to take off a little bit. Somebody bought you know, four or five pizzas from Papa John. Papa John's was accepting Bitcoin for a little while there. And this guy bought pizzas. Uh, and that was back when Bitcoin was worth like $2 a coin. So mm-hmm. it's gone up a lot since then. I don't know where it's at today. We've, we have had a huge pullback in it, but... 
Well, until recently, Mr. Elon Musk would accept Bitcoin for yeah, a Tesla. Yeah, well, PayPal was, is doing it. <laughs> we'll talk about that too. <laughs> but just the idea of it as a currency is, is what gives it a little bit of value. And when the people that... <laughs> When the people that love Bitcoin start talking about it, I want to talk about the people that advocate for Bitcoin really hard, too. Let's make sure we don't forget about that. Uh, but when they're talking about it, they're, they're usually pointing out there's only ever going to be 21 million of them. It's a finite resource. Uh-huh. It is the currency of the future. Let's use that. Well, and, and one thing that I think is attractive is that you can't inflate Bitcoin per se. You can't just make more bitcoin you can't print bitcoin you can't reduce inflation on bitcoin by increasing the amount of bitcoin out there right yeah bingo so you know where a lot of folks come from is look here in the united states when we have a problem we just print more money we just print more money and you can't do that with bitcoin and a fiat currency at its base means it's worth something based on the full faith and credit of of that centralized government well, Bitcoin isn't tied to a centralized government, but a lot of folks think that essentially all these countries now that have taken care of these financial crises that we've had by just printing, 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 printing and inflating the currency, that if it's based on the full faith of their credit, they're never going to pay this back. So they look for alternative sources like Bitcoin. I want to point out from from a, a fiat standpoint that this isn't a fiat currency. However, it still is based on the full faith and credit of those adopting the Bitcoin uh, currency, wouldn't you say? That there's going to be people out there using this currency and not something else. Yeah, it has to be adopted. <laughs> and that brings up that brings up some other problems with it, which is if Bitcoin is the currency of the future, what about other cryptocurrencies? Mm-hmm. So there's a finite amount of Bitcoins. But there's not a finite amount of other cryptocurrencies. We got Ethereum and Dogecoin, Dogecoin, Dogecoin. Dogecoin. But with a plethora of others that have been invented with this same idea. Well, if you wanted, you could go out and start a crypto yourself right now. There was a great time back in the early days of the internet when Internet Explorer was all you had. And then Netscape happened and Microsoft tried to destroy them. And they kind of did. Yeah. But now you're a noob if you use any Internet Explorer or Edge. You got to use Chrome or Firefox. (laughs) So other competitors can pop up that will steal market share. That's a real concern with Bitcoin as well. Uh Uh, But yeah, people have to accept it as currency. I could see that actually happening because the idea of how and let's get it. Let's use that as a transition into how Bitcoin works, how blockchain technology a little bit works, that people understand the underlying basics of why this is a secure transaction. So what is the blockchain? The blockchain is an irrevocable ledger that cannot be altered because it is a ledger that is created by computing power from all over the world. You have computers everywhere that are reading the updates to the ledger and then recording them. Mm -hmm. So I can't change it on my computer by saying, wait, I didn't really transfer the title of my house to Caleb. I want it back. Well, too bad. Millions and Hundreds of millions, possibly, of computer processors have recorded that already and proved me wrong. Uh, And there's only really one way that the blockchain can be edited. And so this is the big vulnerability in it. And theoretically, if someone, read China, achieves (laughs) 51% of the computing power in the world, they could edit the blockchain and and maintain the changes because 51% is the rule. It's going to override everything. It's going to accept that as true. So on the blockchain, truth is relative. Uh, relativity is a real thing. 
there. So that could really ruin it. But 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 I see a lot of applications for blockchain technology. And I, I just referenced title transfers. That's one of them. A lot of legal transactions could be secured with the blockchain and recorded. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can eliminate a lot of data entry and clerical work with blockchain technology. And I think that's where the future probably really is for this. And it's awesome. Maybe we're wrong. I mean, people didn't think that we would be taking pictures with our cell phones uh, you know, in the 80s when we had cordless phones, we didn't think, hey, let's pop a camera in there. So we can't mm-hmm. really predict the future with 100% certainty. But that's why the blockchain works. If I can interject there on the security of it all, and that's why it's looked at as so secure, you would have to basically control 51% of the computing power involved to crack that system. And my mm-hmm. understanding of it, the way that I read it and understand is really that the more blocks on the chain the more secure it becomes, the more people using the currency, the more data that's in there, the more computing uh, power that's required to crack it. So the more that it's adopted, the more that you see guys like Elon Musk and all these big business moguls adopting Bitcoin. And unadopting, you know, possibly for their possibly for yeah. their own gains. Well, that's a different uh, <laughs> that's a different topic altogether. But the more that people are adopting and using Bitcoin as a currency, Really, theoretically, the more secure it becomes. I would agree that there is a bullish case for Bitcoin. I think I think a lot of these points, the security of it, the demand for cryptocurrency increasing over the next few years because people start to trust it and start mm-hmm. using it more, that could drive the price up. We didn't even talk about international transactions, like a way to have secure international transactions. It could lower the cost in the banking system. It allows for anonymous payments, which does allow for yeah some uh, shady stuff. But that's a that's a pro. That's a <laughs> that's a bullish case too, because you know maybe you want to make donations to some conservative charity and you don't want to get canceled. <laughs> <Is that> allowed. <laughs> Well, it's, if you do an anonymous Bitcoin payment, you won't have to worry oh, about yeah. it. It could grow exponentially if it really catches on. And we've seen that kind of, I don't think wide scale adoption is why the price has gone up so much in the last few years. But theoretically, that could be why it increases in the future, because we start adopting this. We start using it. Everyone, it's a normal thing all of a sudden. You know, grandma's texting now. Yeah. Bitcoin could really catch on and be our currency exchange in the next it, few years. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because when texting became a thing, I think you and I both thought it was kind of outrageous. I got into fights with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> my dad said, I will never text. That's the dumbest thing in the world. Now, what's funny is if I call my dad, it goes to voicemail and immediately I get a text. <laughs> hey, what's up? It's like, come on, pick up your phone. I'm your son. <laughs> so this could be the guy in five years that says, you know, Bitcoin is just made up. It's, you know, there's there's no value, whatever. This could be the guy that's uh, that's paying for a farm in Bitcoin. I don't know. I don't know. I think that the case, when, when we look at the blockchain in general, I think that the blockchain makes sense. But let's be real here. Bitcoin does not have a corner on the blockchain. No, let's be really real. Don't be fake. Yeah, I mean, Bitcoin is one of the options. And When you think about all the competitors that could come into the market and will come into the market, as this becomes more of an accepted way of transacting business, the more the likelihood is that maybe they're not the predominant currency. Theoretically, it could go to zero, couldn't it? Yeah, let's transition right into the bearish case for Bitcoin because you're Mm. you're right on that. And I got to tell you, my main reason for being a contrarian with Bitcoin is the religious fervor for it (laughs) from its supporters. So I talked about email when it came out. This is like email, but if if people were like, if you don't use email instead of the postal service, you're an idiot. 
Email is going to replace the physical letter. You won't use pencils anymore. It's email. You're an idiot if you don't do it. Get it. Get it. Ah! Like people, <laughs> Bitcoin is really hyped up. I'm sure you've talked to a Bitcoin truther out there, but there is extreme enthusiasm for it that is bordering on religious fervor for real. Um, uh-huh. Elon Musk was the Pope of Bitcoin until recently. Until he wasn't. <laughs> um, that was very Elon of him, wasn't it, it? Yes. People would talk about Bitcoin like it was the coming Messiah, and they still do. Uh, that extremism, Caleb, is enough reason for me to be like, let's pump the brakes a little. I don't want to be catching tulip fever with uh, Bitcoin. And for the record, everyone, uh, give tulip fever a Google. It is the first bubble in stock market history. It's worth learning about a little bit, but it's really just the case of people getting crazy about the new hot thing. And and, and Bitcoin has a lot of odors of that to me, even though the underlying technology is cool. um, Tulips are pretty. (laughs) (laughs) That's enough to make me start to be hesitant, I think. Caleb, have you run into these and to somebody crazily touting Bitcoin? So I got to be honest here. You know me. I'm nothing Nothing if I'm not honest. I think you have. I Really, I get more like, hey, it, it's the fear of missing out. Like, look at what's going on. Everybody's jumping on this. Do we need to get on it? Are we going to miss out? We saw a strategist or a, I don't know if I want to give them the credit of saying they're a strategist, but the case of going to 400,000 yeah. uh, for Bitcoin. We've seen a lot of really wild projections out there. I have a really hard time when when I look at it as an investment. And that's what I'm getting from folks is as an investment, do I need to invest in this? Well, the way that we would look at stocks is, and I know that technical analysis is part of it. You can look at the charts and the momentum and things like that. But what are the fundamentals behind Bitcoin? What are the fundamentals? Because you can make a case that it goes to 400,000. You can make a case that it crashes down to zero. And, and there, there's no fundamentals one way or the other really to back it, right? It's really hard. I, we did an episode about gold. We sure Was did. it our second episode? <laughs> yeah. We talked about, because we get asked about that a lot too. Don't start there, by the way. <laughs> I mean, start <laughs> 10 episodes from now if you can. I assume we'll have improved a lot. <laughs> but... Bitcoin has has no intrinsic value in and of itself. It's it, even gold has an intrinsic value. It's pretty. You can make you can make uh, electronics out of it. You can make pretty jewelry out of it. Mm-hmm. You can't with Bitcoin. If it drops, no. it doesn't. It's not really necessarily worth anything. So I think that is definitely a concern when you think about investing in it. Well, and, and when we're again talking about investing, and I'll reference back to another episode uh, when we did mint juleps in the stock market, and is it gambling and I think when values start to fall, people start to think, oh, no, oh, no, it's falling for no reason. And I got to I got to just bail now. It's like trying to catch a falling knife. But when you look at Bitcoin, where is your okay? if we're investing long term, how are you going to how how are you going to be able to stay in it when it's falling for seemingly no reason? Because there's plenty of justification for it to just fall out of favor and go away, whereas we know in the stock market um, that we own companies, at least we have something with intrinsic value, something creating value, income and things like that. We know that those dips in prices, I mean, an individual company can go out, but when we look at the markets and things like that, we know that a lot of that's momentum and it's pullbacks and things that naturally occur. But with Bitcoin, go back a couple of years ago when it was approaching $20,000 and all of a sudden, you know, it was 3,500 bucks. Nobody wanted it then. 
nobody wanted it when it was 3500 bucks. When you're sitting across from a client and you're going over their Bitcoin portfolio, <laughs> what is your justification for holding on to it when it goes to 3500 I know our standard rule of thumb is no more than 10% of a concentrated position among all of your mm-hmm. investable assets. If you have $100,000 invested or you have a million dollars invested, no more than 10% of that total should be invested in single stocks or a single position. And you know, when we're talking about currencies here, I, for the most part, we would say the same thing about US dollars. Absolutely. I would, I would <laughs> argue that you probably should have closer to 0% in currencies. So yeah. it's, it's, it's hard because there's, no, there's no intrinsic value, like you said. Are you going to hold on? You'd have to be a true believer. But most of the price of Bitcoin we're seeing is moved by fear and greed. And that's a, a reason to be leery because... If the price is going up because Elon Musk says it's awesome and he's going to take it as payment, and then the price goes down because Elon Musk says there's environmental reasons why he's not going to take it, that should that should scare you. Is that is that something to do with the electricity that is uh, powering all this computing that's going on for mining? He needs that coal energy to power his electric cars. I think he just likes messing with people, and he is great. Uh, he at is, it. Uh, but he, like he is. Troller in chief. Uh, Jason, here's skills. the deal though. We went back to space and we're going to Mars. So I. Yeah, I don't care what you say. <laughs> Elon Musk is cool. Um, if you're the SEC, you're probably uh, trying to figure out what to do with him. I'm glad I don't have that job as a regulator. Uh, yeah. But no dull days with Elon around. Yeah. So. Bitcoin is subject to extreme volatility. So if you buy it, mm-hmm. instead of buying and holding, you have the buy and hodl strategy if you haven't heard that it's explain <laughs> i i'm uh i'm just now getting it from uh all the memes but buy and hodl is h-o-d-l instead of h-o-l-d for hold we know buy and hold mm-hmm. is a mm-hmm. familiar investment strategy buy and hodl is buy and hold on for dear life <laughs> i thought maybe buy and hodl was how you spelled buy and ho hold after you've been drinking moonshine. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a mix of those things. But buy and hodl, <laughs> you're going to have to hold on for your life because Bitcoin is volatile. It is impacted by all kinds of speculation. And that's scary to me. So if I can bring up a point based on that, one of the reasons that people trade in currencies or gold is diversification and an alternate investment strategy that zigs when the market zags mm-hmm. and vice versa. Jason... When we talk about you know using this as a hedge in our portfolio or an alternative strategy, what have we seen historically when the markets go down? What what do we see in Bitcoin? It now? has not done a great job. Let me read this excerpt. Yeah, hold on for yeah. dear life. <laughs> CFA Amy C. Arnott wrote for Morningstar.com. I have a little excerpt from her article. Uh, you should check that out at Morningstar.com. But she she says this in that article, Bitcoin is often described as digital gold, but it hasn't held up particularly well during periods of market crisis. In the fourth quarter of 2018, for example, Bitcoin lost about 44% of its value compared compared with about 14% for the broader market. When the novel coronavirus roiled the market from February 19th through March 23rd of 2020, Bitcoin lost about 38% compared with 34.5% for Morningstar's U.S. market index. During weeks when the overall equity market posted negative total returns over the period from August 2010 through the end of 2020, Bitcoin notched positive results only about half of the time. It's not negatively, it's not uncorrelated really at all. It seems like yeah. it seems like when our market goes down, enthusiasm for Bitcoin also drops. And we've just seen this recently here in the middle of May 2021, 
with that happening again with the broader market sell-off and Bitcoin losing yeah. a lot, you could say that's correlated with with comments from super celebrity mega CEOs. But yeah, we we've seen a decline in twenty five plus percent in the matter of a couple of weeks here, and and the broader market's not down near that much. Yeah, so that's that's another mark against investing in Bitcoin. It's uh, it's it's volatile. Any clear? Well, and and going back to like when you ask, well, what clients are asking about this, and and which people are really you know religiously dedicated to to this investment. I don't know about you, but for me, a lot of times it's the ones who are really conservative about the stock market and things <laughs> like that. They're the ones that think that the world's going to end, and you know we better have our our uh, our food shelter stocked, and also have our Bitcoin. You know, again, what we're seeing is going back to our gold episode. What we see is a lot of times the price is not that negative correlated asset that you're looking for when you're picking alternative investments, which I think this is if we're approaching it from an investment standpoint. Yeah, I have to agree. Let's talk about how much it costs to buy and sell Bitcoin. You have to get a special account to be able to do that. It can be expensive. So here's another drawback to investing in Bitcoin. The fees for transactions are a lot. Mm. Coinbase is probably one of the most popular places to buy Bitcoin. And it charges, as of my last checking, about a half a percent spread plus a fixed or a variable fee, whichever is higher. It can cost as much as 1.5% to 3.99%. It can be even higher than that if it's international to use the Coinbase software to buy and sell and exchange Bitcoin. Wow, that's some cheddar. It's like gold. If you buy physical gold, you got to pay someone to store it and keep it. And because unless yeah. you're mining the actual Bitcoin, and good luck, you'd have to have <laughs> a huge amount of computer processing power to create yeah, a Bitcoin. We're talking now. like warehouses full of computers type power. Back in 2011, when I was first made aware of the Bitcoin phenomenon, people needed vast computing power mm -hmm. to even mine a Bitcoin. It takes even more now because more people are doing it. So the more people on the chain, the more power it takes to move. Yeah. So you're paying for that storage. You're paying for those transactions. It's really expensive now to buy and sell it. And I know a lot of people still want to, Caleb. So to kind of to put a pin on this or a bow on the end, what role could Bitcoin play in your portfolio? Well, Jason, I think, you know, if we were going to distill it down here, if you will. Yes. <laughs> distill it Where down. do we stand on Bitcoin? Well, I, I would put it this way. Personally, I, and this is an opinion, I, I don't think the blockchain is going away anytime soon. Give me your opinion. I think the blockchain will be here. I am not making any bets on Bitcoin. I'm not making any bets on Ethereum or Dogecoin, however you want to say it. I think that traditionally speaking... It's hard for me to justify this as an investment because there's no real fundamental analysis. And you know me, I'm a fundamental guy. Uh, I'm not completely discounting technicals, but there's plenty of technicals, I guess, when it comes to cryptocurrencies. If I could see a place for this in a portfolio, I haven't gone down this route yet. It's something I'm going to look into for our portfolios, but I could maybe justify a sliver of the portfolio and in, in maybe a crypto ETF or something like that. But really, it is a speculative investment, in my opinion. Again, I think it goes back to what we said before. I don't want to be sitting across from any clients explaining to them why they need to hold on to their plummeting Bitcoin or any digital you know, or cryptocurrency when I can't justify holding it because of any fundamental reasons. Yeah, 
I I think I agree with you for the most part, as boring as that is, but I don't recommend any currencies in client accounts. From that regard, that's pretty easy. That's a pretty big slam dunk. As far as Bitcoin goes as a technology that's emerging, I know a lot of ETFs are changing some of their prospectuses, their rules, letting their portfolio managers select cryptocurrencies as a segment in there. I think a few crypto ETFs have launched and are launching right Mm -hmm. now. It's getting a lot more popular and a lot easier to invest in a diversified manner into it. I still have a hard time recommending it. It depends on your situation for sure. There's all sorts of people getting rich off of Bitcoin. I I don't want to discount that. Sure. There's people getting rich off of stocks that we see are, are being completely manipulated. Yeah. Not because the value is there, not because it's a good investment. So there's always going to be people getting rich off of an an idea or a strategy or manipulation. But we're in the business of investing and planning. There's too much at at stake there, I think, for speculating on on a big portion of your portfolio. Man, you know, if if we encourage folks who have that itch to go start a mad money account and and play with stocks on a, a small portion of their portfolio, maybe the same applies here. But again, you know, fundamentally speaking, man, I don't encourage anybody. And again, nobody out there, we don't ask our clients to be the financial advisor. But I think fundamentally speaking, I don't encourage anybody investing in something that they don't understand in the slightest. Yeah, this is a really hard investment to understand. If you want to invest in it, this is how I would recommend looking into it. Invest in the broader United States stock market and a little bit international, some growth and some value. And let those companies figure out how to profit off of the blockchain. That's a a pretty good way to do it because I know that some of your favorite United States large growth companies have capitalized off the internet. You didn't just go Mm -hmm. buy internet stock back then. (laughs) So that's, that's the safe, the boring way to do it. That's what I would normally recommend. I wouldn't even, don't even start a mad money account. Just invest prudently and continually do it. Grow your money and don't worry about catching the next fad. If you Yeah, don't worry. There'll be another one. If, yeah, if you fully understand <laughs> Bitcoin and you're a lot smarter than us, man, by all means do it and best wishes. I applaud you. Way to go. But for the average investor, the person that doesn't make investing and trading their full-time job, you need to learn about it. It's pretty cool. It's neat to learn about new technology like this. I would not worry yourself about missing out on this uh shooting star cuz it's really a violent ride, especially so far. No bones about it. It is fascinating. Oh, for sure. Most of the time, we're not looking for uh, fascinating when we're creating a client portfolio. Nobody understands the blockchain. No, <laughs> nobody gets it. It's like the cloud. It's like the cloud. It's man. way worse than the cloud. <laughs> All right. Well, Jason, I, I think that that was a pretty a pretty fun dive into Bitcoin. Um, you know, maybe some of you out there know a little bit more than than you did before. Um, I guess that's the point of all of this. Uh, I know I know a little bit more now. <laughs> I'm sure you do, too. I think so I might know less. Stuff. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, my opinion might not be as strong as it was before. But, you know, that's that's another story. So good stuff, man. Yeah. Um, you know, and as always, if You've got questions about this stuff that we're going over. By all means, reach out. Let us know. Jason, it's a good lead in because it's time for questions straight up. Jacob asks, I keep hearing commercials about reverse mortgages. Does this ever really make financial sense? Well, Jacob, this is a very complicated topic, and I think... 
I really, really thank you for your question. It's a good question. And I think to answer it, we're gonna have to dive into a lot of a lot of variables, really. But the answer is no. It never makes financial sense. Let's move let's move on, Caleb. <laughs> let's not let's not mince words. <laughs> uh, this is a hard question. Uh so I I uh, have been a staunch opponent of reverse mortgages my entire financial career. I uh, completed the certified financial planner exam and passed it. And they talk a lot about reverse mortgages. And since then, I've heard a lot of other financial planners talk about reverse mortgages in a way that was intriguing to me. But at, still at the core, uh, Jacob, no. So you said ever, and there's some caveats in there because that is an absolute. Like this is Ever. Is there ever a possibility? Sure. If you know every factor that's coming in, there might be a case where a reverse mortgage makes sense. I can see a reverse mortgage making sense if you are an older couple, retired or person, uh, retired, you own your home outright. Uh, you've got enough assets out there to take care of you for income, but maybe you need a long-term care backup plan. Uh, you could get a reverse mortgage to pay for that if you didn't want to give your house to anyone. The problem is reverse mortgages are expensive. So you've got to pay a lot of money to get this set up. You'd be better off just selling your house if you wanted to use the equity in your house to do something and renting an apartment or renting a, a nursing home space. So I have a hard time thinking that they're ever a good idea. And, and for those of you out there that don't know, a reverse mortgage is basically you selling your house to someone on an installment plan. So the reverse mortgage company would own your house and then pay you a mortgage payment for the house until it's paid off. Um, that's basically how it works. It's basically getting an income stream out of your house and you get to live there uh, until you die pretty much. So it can be a good deal uh, or until the contract is up. It depends on the reverse mortgage that you do. It's kind of a annuitizing your equity in the house. Yeah, I, I get why people might want to do it. However, a reverse mortgage kind of falls in that category of a complicated financial product. So unless you understand all the ins and outs of it, I would be extremely hesitant to start one, to do one. There may be a place for it, though, I think, Caleb, maybe. But I want to say the rule of thumb is no, they're a bad idea for almost everyone. <laughs> yeah, the exception doesn't make it uh, a rule, I, I guess. Um <laughs> If, if it's allowed to be done, there's probably a scenario where it makes sense, um, but that's not commonplace in my opinion. I've not really seen uh, a situation in my career where it really made sense. Yeah, you gotta, you uh, gotta. To do yeah, that, so. I think this falls into the category of keeping things simple. Don't overly complicate your financial situation, and something like this can sound awesome. Um, and financial nerds like us like to get in there and complicate things too much. A reverse mortgage usually just adds more trouble than it's worth. I think you hit on something really important there. These are products that are made to sound really good. And usually when it sounds too good to be true, it is. So not saying again that every situation all the time, it doesn't make sense. Maybe maybe there are a few cases out there where I could, I could see, but uh, it's not the norm. It really falls into this category of uh, wicked and shameful financial products that I've got, <laughs> like like the, uh, <laughs> the variable annuity and the... the <laughs> The timeshare, the timeshare, the whole life insurance policy, that kind of stuff. So yeah, hopefully that answers your question, Jacob. Thank you for submitting that. That's a really good question. Thanks, Jacob. This is the part of the show where we invite our listeners to speak easy about whatever's on their mind. This is a great place to share a recipe or a story or any thoughts, questions, and emotional outbursts that you may have. Jason, did anything come into the speakeasy this week? Why, yes, it did, Caleb. Michelle says, you kept me entertained on a long drive. 
I started with the social security episode, and I thought that as a teacher, none of it would pertain to me, but it's not true. I learned so much. Awesome. That's great feedback. I think that uh, a lot of folks maybe don't think that this stuff pertains to them, but it's quite applicable for most of us. So great feedback. Keep it coming. Keep listening. Yeah, thanks a lot, Michelle. If, if you've got feedback, please send it into the speakeasy. See if you can find our secret internet speakeasy. Yeah, secret. <laughs> secret. <laughs> well, Jason, uh, I think it's about that time. What do you think? I think that is the time uh, now. All right, folks, thanks for having a drink with us this week. It's time to close out the tab. If you have a question or a topic you want addressed on the Old Fashioned Finance podcast, be sure to email us at speakeasy at oldfashionedfinance.com. We would love to hear from you. Don't forget to share the show with someone you love or just someone who needs a little money muddling themselves. You can stay up to date with the latest action by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Old Fashioned Finance is brought to you by Blue Jay Financial Group. That's bluejfg.com and produced by Pottery Studios. We've been your hosts, Jason and Caleb. Cheers. Blue Jay Financial Group, LLC, Blue Jay, is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of Ohio. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The presence of this advertisement on this podcast shall not be directly or indirectly interpreted as a solicitation of investment advisory services to persons of another jurisdiction unless otherwise permitted by statute. Follow-up or individualized responses to consumers in a particular state by Blue Jay in the rendering of personalized investment advice for compensation shall not be made without first complying with jurisdiction requirements or pursuant to an applicable state exemption. All verbal and written content on this presentation is for information purposes only. Opinions expressed herein are solely those of Blue Jay, unless otherwise specifically cited. Material presented is believed to be from reliable sources and no representations are made by our firm as to other parties' informational accuracy or completeness. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation.